Water content in a beer. Alright, so while he's getting his PBR, I just gotta play one thing real quick. That's fine, I gotta. I've already got the PBR. Oh, nice. <laughs> his face! There's no way I get copyrighted for this song. Right? I don't think so. I think the, if anything, the band they, is some of the producers of the movie, I believe. That they if anything, they'd be happy that I'm spreading this song. Yeah. Someone else knows their song. These are the best times. These are the best times. Should this be the new intro? <laughs> Just fade in. These are the best times. <laughs> Just sung by the most emotionless women I've ever I've ever heard. It looks like the, it sounds like they they don't want to be wherever they're at singing that song. And I appreciate that. I think they just stay well within their range because they know they know they Because good. their range is like one note. Well. These are the best times of, of our lives. lives. No, you know what? The synthesizer is doing so much, they don't want to overpower it. It's doing too much. So they're like, (laughs) if we sing too emotionally, people aren't going to be able to really focus on the synthesizer. No, I get that. I definitely uh, get that. Um, So that that song is, of course, from uh, the movie Killer Party. Of course. course. Um, Everyone knows the song from that. Of course. Of course. Fucking course. And um, Mark Rooster, um, we watched that movie and another one we're going to talk about very shortly, but I just, I have to say something to you. I don't know if I remember anything about that movie other than that song. That is something that happens with Killer Party because... It's an enigma. When we watched that movie, I think was probably the third or fourth time I've seen it. And I never remember almost anything about it except for the song. And in it's fact, because the plot literally turns into different things every ten minutes, to the point where I don't know what I can talk about because I remember the most prominent like five minute segment being a stupid song. Yeah, it's a fake out because no, it so starts yeah. with a scene that turns so out to be a movie. 
viewed by kids at a drive-in, the but then that turns, turns out, out to be, to be a, a music, music video. video. And then the music video fades into mm-hmm. a, a movie about like college kids. And I, at that point, <laughs> at that point, we're at minute thirty-eight, yeah. and I no longer have any bearing or stance on how I'm going to be able to view the rest of this fucking movie. So from that point forward, I just kind of like gave up. And mentally, I really can't even remember what I was rooting for, or what was happening. And wasn't it like, were, were they afraid of ghosts or something? And then it turned out to just be a, a guy. Uh, Is that the twist? Is that you know, the twist I, of the movie? I, I know it may seem hard to believe, but I, I don't really you don't remember. remember that well. No, that's fine. I don't even think there was really a twist. I think it was There was just a house... Like... Yeah, and people were killing each other. And that but was it. And it was why? a guy. It wasn't supernatural, though. You're right but about that. But why? But eventually, they turned into something. They they got possessed. Like oh, three. Wasn't there? Oh, she's right. Three Ellie's people got right. like possessed. It was like shit. Evil Dead, right? Yeah. It was like a crappy Evil Dead movie. It's hard to remember, and you know the intro is so challenging <laughs> that, uh, like you said, it kind of beats you up. Right before you even get into the movie, because the real movie doesn't start. I liked for the 10 first minutes ten minutes. Or so. so when it changed, I was like, "Fuck!" Yeah. I was kind of invested in that woman's story and her plight. It's you, just sort of a, an interesting, weird, odd movie with a great theme song. You mean you don't <laughs> remember the hot tub scene with all the naked sorority chicks? Oh, was that the bees? In fact, the bees are one of the only things I remember bees. about that movie. They they bring in a box full of bees and they chase around a bunch of naked sorority chicks. Strangely, it sounds like you two both remember the movie better than I do. That's I, hilarious. I, I just I, can never yes. remember the movie, but I know I like it. And I've never seen anything else like it, so that's why I remember it so <laughs> well, well. Well, that's why, that's why I also wanted to have you on, Alley Cat, because I... I know that your experience with horror is very, very limited. Like, it's a shallow depth. Yes. Because you you just don't like horror movies. And we've been slowly breaking you in to, like... They're not bad. I wouldn't call them bad, but I would say there's a drive-in quality to the, like, old-school drive-in, pulpy 80s horror flicks is kind of what we've... Um, well, how would you describe them, Mark? I think that's fine. I mean, we've had two double features. In addition to this one with Killer Party, we had another one and with the three of us. And honestly, I, I don't think that I can get my horror movie-loving friends to watch two movies in a row, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, Alley Cat oh, is very movies. open to watching <laughs> two of these things in a row for somebody who, you know, isn't really into hasn't horror necessarily. Dipped their toe into horror you know. very much. Like you even said, like your your idea of horror, and like it is a horror movie. Like you had just seen it, and you really liked it, and we were having a discussion about the the trailer for the second one that just came out. Mm-hmm. Looks really great, yes. and. You know, at one point, I just kind of backed up and I said, but what is so scary about that movie? And then I started thinking to myself, like, well, she did watch the thing. I, d- I wanted to open with that. I, w- yeah. We haven't had you back, but I wanted to, to know your your impression of the thing, because I think that movie actually is quite scary. Yeah, what I enjoy about, which I've said before, kind of like those more... 
old school horror movies because I appreciate the craft, I would say. Like, I like the the background things of this is how they made that scene where the guy's chest gets compressed in and the head starts walking away and it's, you know, how those types of things interest me more than what CGI does today. I feel like so many horror movies are just made and done because of CGI that they can just make the it age old whatever. practical effects argument. Yes, yeah, it's, it's exactly. really um, like there's even, a physical there's a physical malleability about like I would say anything that predates like 2008 2007 things just feel a lot more physical in horror whereas you start to get to like 2011 2013 and everything is just slowly turning into CGI like blood splatter yeah and, C- and that gets even too in, much even in really lazy examples you know just like a bullet like a, a you know they wouldn't use like a squib they would like CGI blood onto someone it's just like oh, it's, so, it's, like it's so fucking it's, lazy yeah. it's quicker they can shoot faster if they don't have to worry yeah, about messing like up just, a shot and everybody's I got to change their clothes it's terrible yeah. terrible excuse uh, but I, I agree with you but sometimes I think CGI blood can look sort of raunchy Oh no, way. there are there are definitely variables of how CGI works in in movies and you know how it makes scenes amazing, you know like uh what is it is it uh the departed the departed or is it no, it's I'm pretty sure it's the departed. They they make whole scenes using CGI because they couldn't they couldn't like film the boat, certain things. The boat certain... stuff when they're on the on the ocean and the thunderstorm, I think, is what you're. That that was a lot of like the rain. Yeah, there and... was this part about rain where I was just like, "Wow, they CGI'd all that because they knew that they couldn't film it and and get the same." Yeah, like, and shot. that yeah, and, and like that of course is like yeah. an example where like CGI helps the storytelling experience, and and part of me is just like. Natural stuff will just always feel better for me. I, I love people in suits and um, monster props. You know, like I'll always think about like Jurassic Park. It's just like that's your best blending of the two. We got some quality CGI that still kind of holds up, and then we got like great practical effects that match the CGI pretty fucking spot on. And outside of monster movies, you know. Uh, the Mission Impossible movies, I think one of the reasons that those have been so successful is because of all the stunts. And there's definitely CGI, but it's of the, he you know, of the of, sl- yeah. minor enhancement kind of stuff for the most part. But, you know, there's a difference between seeing a, a Transformers kind of movie, and I'm not knocking yeah. those at all, but, like, it's very all clearly animated, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then that helicopter stuff... That Tom Cruise is up there doing like yeah. you know that he it's was real. actually it's real. doing yeah, it's that crazy. stuff. It's, yeah, and that it's makes nuts. it a better experience knowing like holy hell that's that's real. That is reacting. The actors are reacting to that. It's all just there. It's not a green screen, and I you can tell. There's there's sure. another example of that that I wanted to bring up with you that I had your name noted for. Um, I would say. Uh, 
the director Mike Flanagan is real good at using CGI and like a, a way to enhance the storytelling. Um, this is of course the guy who did um, Haunting of Hill House, mm -hmm. which they just announced that the second season isn't going to be the same cast. It's going to be a different haunting in a different state at a different time. And um, I really love that idea like just doing a kind of conjuring thing but letting this guy just run with a popular narrative um i loved that fucking series yes and we talked for quite a while about it mm -hmm. the one day and um i'm i really like that director too i thought gerald's game was one of the best uh horror films that i saw in the last couple of years the one on netflix and hush was very good and too. hush is awesome yeah hush is great yeah, I really did like Gerald's Game. Both of both of those are solid fucking movies. I thought Oculus was a little flighty, like it couldn't. Hey, it's it couldn't tough to do a haunted mirror movie. Abs absolutely, because it's just so trite. You know, it's so fucking trite. Um, it's just so goddamn petty. Um, but yeah, I mean. Karen Gillan is is a great actress, so she gives her all. But um, I loved Hill House. I watched the entire thing like three times. Um, and I'm excited to see what he could do next. But I also want to bring us back to... Um, we were talking about the movies we've watched with Mark Rooster. And I wanted to say um, just how much I enjoyed... Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, yes. which was the first film we watched that evening, which is probably why Killer Party is so goddamn disappointing, because all I want to remember about that night is Hello, Mary Lou, <laughs> because it was just a wonderful fucking film. It was. That I'm, like, happy to have seen, because for me, it takes, like, I would say two of my favorite tropes from, like, 80s horror and just nails it. Which is, of course, like your Stephen King-esque, uh, uh, cheaply written characters dealing with something supernatural, yet still being, like, super petty about their, like, actions and, uh, you know, like, revengeful spirits and shit like that. It's all just so fucking petty, and, and I love it. And, um, and the way they go about doing it is with a, I would say, Evil Dead Japanese-esque, um, like, hokey spiritual possession kind of experience where, like, items in the room will be, uh, used against the person, they'll, they'll see, like, hallucinations, it'll possess certain people, like, it just, it, it felt like I was watching a mix of, like, Haosu and Evil Dead, like the the first Evil Dead, and I would, I just loved every minute of it. I thought it was so good. It was very entertaining. Like I want to show it to friends. Yes. I'm glad that I was real happy that you guys liked that movie. Mm -hmm. That is a movie that I that I watched when I was a kid, uh, probably on Channel Eleven. Uh, <laughs> I just remember watching it with my father and having never seen Prom Night, which it's not related to. And I just would say that's like, the biggest problem. Fantastic. But it's a movie that was made and then the title was forced upon it because Absolutely. they wanted to take advantage. That that still happens Name today. Recognition. Mm. That still happens yeah. today. Movies will be changed last minute in order to come out, you know, uh to try and make more money. They'll just they'll change an indie to a, a studio flick. Um 
I, it could, it literally could just be called Hello Mary Lou, and I would, you know, it would just be so much better. Like, yeah, but it rhymes. That's part of the fun. Nah. Hello Mary Lou, prom night that's, two. That's not fun at all. You know what prom night three is called? The last kiss. Nah. Forgettable. It doesn't rhyme at all. I just, at that point, I just wish the movie was called The Last Kiss, that it wouldn't even have the prom you know segment. I think that's what it's called. Now I'm doubting myself. It's a <laughs> piece of shit, it anyway. It's not, <laughs> it's, and, it's, so and I don't even know if I watched watch Prom Night yeah. 4. Yeah. There's a fourth one? Yeah, I, when, I, when I honestly can't stop? remember if I watched it. <sighs> I don't know oh, if, yeah. um... I don't know if I'd if I'd watch any of them after the second one. I'd just be so well. The first one is certainly worth seeing if you haven't seen it. Although it's a it's a slasher movie and it's disco themed, and Jesus. not like anything to do with the second one. <laughs> um, and then this last week we got together and we watched uh, the original Suspiria. Um, how how many times would you would you say you've seen that movie, Mark? Um, maybe ten. That's still a lot. Yeah, but I've been watching it a lot longer. It was than you it know. was Alley Cat's <laughs> first viewing, and it was my probably f- like fourth, and um, in the last year, fourth. Because you ha- saw it at the drive. I saw it at the drive in in, thir- in in thirty. Uh, I think it was thirty five millimeter. Yeah. Um, which was beautiful. It was. I had such a good time watching that at the drive in. I. Like, the next day I woke up with tons of mosquitoes, and I was like, this is fine. I loved that movie last night. You gotta buy the thing. What is it that the, the mosquitoes don't like? The little Wick? smoke thing. The candles? Yeah. yeah the, you can buy them at the not, They don't sell them at Mahoning, though. That's the problem. Oh. They do at Becky's. Yeah. Just, I'll just bring a spray. Just bring your time. own. I didn't, I didn't know that I need... Spray works for me. They don't... They don't actually want my my skin or my flesh. I'm too I'm too sweet. And I'm um, sorry, I totally derailed your story. I know. <laughs> no, uh, how to repel mosquitoes? Well, it was a, it was a two parter. They showed how Sue, which I had seen that I've seen like ten times, and um, I love how Sue. So I saw that, and then I saw that Suspiria was playing beforehand. And I was just like, oh, I've never seen that. Now's my time to see it because everyone always talks about it, and. It playing into Hasu is so fucking perfect because both of them have such great. Um, now we we watched the original um, Japanese cut, and then they transposed subtitles. But the English uh, audio for Hasu is actually fantastic, um, and if you if you are okay with dubs, um, I suggest the English version of Hasu. Because it's it's just fucking hilarious. The acting the acting honestly makes it feel like an Italian horror flick. Like it really does. And that's what I was trying to say the other day. So we're watching Suspiria. It's like my fourth or fifth time watching it. And I just keep turning to Mark Rooster and I'm like, this is just so much like anime. I'm just like I'm like they find ways to get certain angles, to shoot certain angles and show things in a certain way where it's more like they're showing it to shock us, but to also be artful. And then their choice of color and palettes and focusing, like, really close up on someone, despite the fact that they're saying, like, garbage dialogue. Like, that's, like, a very, like, anime thing. I forget what they call it. It's something like, um... 
context framing, like the the process of actually like making an anime. Like apparently, um, the reason people hated the Ghost in the Shell uh, adaptation is because it removed like everything that made the original so like artful by using its like context framing. Um, they'll just shoot the city to the point where it'll like feel like its own character, and um, Suspiria kind of feels like that. Like there's like the looming presence felt throughout the entire film, like you're watching something through like a different lens, through like a different part of that like world. For me, just makes the entire movie feel like almost like a comic book or a or a fucking anime. And I think, like... That's why I fucking love it so much. <laughs> like, But yeah, you you said that you haven't seen so much anime in order to make that, well, that type of I connection. Well, I just didn't... I never heard, have heard of the those Italian movies being compared to anime before, and it had never occurred to me. And so when you to said it... the two. Yeah. I, just, I thought about it for a little while, and as the movie kept playing, and I thought, I just don't know what what he's talking about. And then I think... I gotta show you some anime. Some horror but I, anime. I mean, I have seen anime. And then, when you mentioned it again, I said, yeah, I guess. And then I thought, like, I'm, I was saying, like, yeah, I, I guess in an optimistic kind of way, but then I was like... I think that overall, I just am not sure I agree, and I, I think that's come through, I'm and obviously you, it did. I'm going to tell you to watch one anime, and it'll change your entire opinion of everything I'm saying. Devil Man Cry Baby. Okay, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, but I have seen a bunch of anime. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not okay, ignorant of it. I just I, a lot I, of horror I guess, anime. I guess that's that's more guess, so what I'm trying to frame in on the women had too many clothes on for it Stop to be considered it. anime because not, I don't watch anime like that. I watch anime for the story. Now anytime I see any anime comes on is the, the no. women just have very little clothes on. That's tentacle all I can the do. tentacle porn anime is that Okay, so listen, before we get into this that makes me sound like a fucking creep, let me tell you my favorite anime that I've been watching recently. How many tentacles are in it? Zero. Didn't I bring this up when we were watching Suspiria? I was like, you guys need to listen to the anime I'm watching right now. I just finished it last week. It's called Promised Neverland. Okay. Oh, yeah. Did I talk about this? I believe you have mentioned it. I, it's very familiar. I'm just going to bring it up in the podcast for a couple minutes because people need to fucking watch it because it's horrifying. And um, the plot is these, um, these little kids are grown up in a closed-off farm. And... Their entire lives, when you reach the age of, like, 12, you leave the farm. It's just, that's the process. They get adopted, or, you know, they're orphans. So they're living in a house with a mother figure. Um, they know that they're not all related, that they just end up here. And then they grow up just calling her mom, and she just oversees everything. She knows where they all are at all times. She feeds them, takes care of them, teaches them. They get really smart. Um... Well, one day, one of the six-year-olds, who is, like, notably dumb in the entire group, gets orphaned. And the kids start to... The older kids, the smarter ones, who are, like, 11, start to think about it. They're like, why is a six-year-old getting adopted and we're not? And they're almost, like, kind of mad about it. It's like, we're ready to leave. Like, why is a six-year-old leaving instead of us? And the stupid fucking six-year-old 
leaves her goddamn toy in the in the house when she leaves. And they're like, this is her favorite toy. She'll never be the same without it. We got to try and catch up to them. When they get down to uh, where where the exit is, it's just a giant fucking gate. But the gate's like 50 feet tall, like bigger than like any house. You know, it's like reaches up into the sky. It's just fucking amazing. And um, they realize that the entire past the forest, because they're never allowed to go like to a certain depth into the forest. Past the forest is is literally like a 16 meter brick wall and it's like 10 feet thick. And it just, it stops anything from getting out of there. And you're just like, you're starting to put pieces together. You're like, giant gate, giant fence, like there's a giant wall, like these kids will never get out of here. What the fuck is going on? And then they realize by uh, finding the little girl's dead body um, that it had been feasted upon. Um, and then they spot the thing that comes back to finish her off, and it's talking to one of its friends, and they're, they're giant demons. They're, like, 20 feet tall, they have, like, multiple eyes, giant rows of teeth, and they just fucking eat humans. Apparently, they like, um, older kids with bigger brains because they taste better. And, um, the entire plot then turns into this, like, horrifying race against time because one of the main characters is turning 12. And it's, like... They're trying to get out, and the demons are, like, haunting their dreams, and, like, they're starting to think about them more. You only see them very rarely, um, but the way that it's shot is just so creepy, yet, you know, it still has that inspirational anime kind of touch. Like, these characters can do anything. They'll have a happy ending. No, they won't. You know, that type of feeling. So I recommend it to everyone. It's both uh, terrifying and enjoyable, and... um, heart-wrenching all at the same time because you really start to like some of the characters and then they just kind of die. I would compare it a lot to um, how Attack on Titan makes me feel because Attack on Titan makes me very uncomfortable seeing giant naked people picking up people and eating them yeah. like little like little candies. It's, can't, can't get into it's that. terrifying. Oh, I love Attack on Titan. Probably one of my favorite, favorite horror animes. And what do you think... Considering how old I am, what do you think my favorite horror-themed anime is? It's not recent. No. I'm trying to go back a ways. Vampire Hunter D. That's the answer? Yes. Oh, I was going to say something like Parasite. I feel like they're around the same time. Uh, I think Vampire... I think Vampire Hunter D is like 1986 or something like Paras- that. Parasite is, I think, I think it was written in the 80s and it came out in like 89. Okay. Yeah. And there was a newer Vampire Hunter D. And there was a newer like 10 Parasite. 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh, I haven't. Okay. Yeah. I didn't like the newer Vampire Hunter as much. That's but, really cool uh, though. You know what I like about Vampire Hunter D? There's a face in the palm of his hand. Yeah. That's weird. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. really cool. That is um, something to see. Vampire Hunter D is also very, like, action-based. Yeah, it I is. I mean, so is, Attack, it is. so is Attack on Titan. Yeah. It's not, that's why I around, said like, horror-themed. Because it is, like, an, you know, an adventure horror I, I'm going to... The one anime, Devil May and Crybaby, the one I suggest to you, like, it's it's only one thing and it's horrifying. You know, it's just, it's... 
I hate it and I like it at the same time. So I, I would be genuinely interested to hear what you have to think about it and the way that they use colors because it feels like a fucking Argento flick sometimes, man. Like a character will feel a certain thing and then the entire scene will go green, you know, just yeah. for some reason. You know, it's just, it's weird. And the new, the new Suspiria with the color scheme was the exact opposite. It was real, like... It would only go red... Drab when, looking. Yeah, 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 It would only go red when supernatural shit was happening. But I was reading a, an interview with the director, and he said that he thought that Argento's movies had influenced so many movies that have come since that everything's been done that can be done with that kind of bright, splashy color style. And so that's why he went the other way. I disagree as yeah. well. I disagree. But I thought, it, I mean, it was a conscious decision. I, I think, like, well, if, we're not anything, if anything, the movies we've gotten in the last 10 years have all been gray. Like, drop. You know, just blank. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he was necessarily talking about the last 10 years, but... Okay. You know, just saying that a lot of stuff after Suspiria has already well, done Well, a lot that. of stuff has happened yeah. since Suspiria. <laughs> so, it must be easy to say something like that when it's been like 50 fucking yeah, years. Yeah, of course. And when you made difference. a boring movie. <laughs> I wouldn't... Were we bored yeah. by it? A little yeah. bit? I watched yeah. it again. Yeah. And I was, you I watched it again? Yeah. Yeah, I did. In two pieces. I watched it... Yeah. The, uh, the next day I watched half of it and the day after I watched the rest because I wanted to... Just give it another shot and like just, I don't know. I was falling asleep a little. It was late as hell, yeah, well, you know. In general, I just don't think it was a really good movie. Well, Mark me. Rooster made fun of me really, really greatly uh, when I fell asleep during watching it. <laughs> it was awesome. And, and I like, I have to say, like, I think the movie is beautifully crafted, but Jesus Christ just hurry up already like just get to the get, get to the parts that make the most sense we don't need this much this much exposition in fact watching Dario Argento's right before watching the new one showed me that we didn't need any exposition oh the, no Argento's just happens and you're along for the ride. Like, it'll change narrative every once in a while and you'll just have to deal with it. They went and the opposite direction. They went the opposite yeah. fucking direction. They built so much of a world that I was falling asleep. Plus it was two and a half hours long. That is It was also very winded. It was very winded. And movie. I know a lot of people who liked it, so I, I just like... I have to I have to weigh in and say like not only was I like not really impressed but I also was just like man like 20 minutes of this could have been cut out you know like legit <laughs> oh, 20 yeah. minutes Well I I would say and you know the, your your uh, listeners who have seen the movie you know what I mean that the entire plot about the guy looking for his wife. The doctor. Could the have doctor. just completely yeah. removed that character and all of that. It was interesting, but it was for a different movie. Yeah, I agree. And that right there would get you under two hours, and I think it would have oh, made I agree. a better movie. I agree. Do you think that they did that because they're like, uh, we don't know if the audience is really going to understand just the, like, of our day and age... 
that type of like the part about the witches and the dancing and all that stuff and they're like well we have to add something else to this to give it a little bit more depth and they just threw him in there i think the their biggest error and i i would agree with that by saying that i think the the Susie character of the new movie you can't really relate to her Whereas the original Susie in the original movie, you can relate to her because she's just like, what? What is happening? I'm just here. Like, why is who? And then the new Susie is almost like premeditated. Everything about her feels calculated. She is playing a game. She is doing a thing. And, you know, spoilers, very obviously she's doing a thing by the end of the movie. I think that removes our common ground as an audience. You know, we need a we need a, a man of uh, an everyman character um, to compare ourselves mm. to, to to you know mirror the image, and we get stuck with an old fucking psychiatrist <laughs> who's played by a woman, and it takes me out of every goddamn scene he's in, and everything. I'm just like, ah, the writing just needs to be better than this. Yeah, there one review I was reading said something like uh, a lot had been made of the fact that Tilda Swinton was playing this doctor character, but every time I was watching the movie, this review said all I could think was that that was Tilda Swinton playing. <laughs> exactly, that's yeah. how I, that's how I <laughs> felt. You know, every time she would pop in, I was just like. Why didn't they give this role to like Christopher Plummer? Why didn't they give this role to Max von Sydow? Like it's a gimmick, a fucking, mm-hmm. it's a German, Max von Sydow. Like that role would have been fucking perfect for him. Well, I think what I also read about the theme of all female cast and pretty much instead of throwing a male in there, they decided, hey, oh, let's, I guess no, let's... no, their cops are men. Yeah, but they're, but look but they're also they're, used jokingly. Yeah, they're not really okay. Yeah, their their main Get role it. is just to laugh at their dicks, essentially. And yeah. that's why that's you know fun. that's one of the reasons that the movie was so long and had so much different story going on is because I think the screenwriter said, "Well, yeah, the movie's going to be about witches, but it's also going to be." About what was going on this in Germany in 1977, Germany. and it's going to be about feminism. And and they just yeah. wrote this enormous screenplay that had all of that stuff in it, and the director was like, yeah, let's go! It was a lot. He was real fucking pumped about yeah, it. They bet off more they could chew. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think that's what I have remember reading, is that's why they did not hire a male actor was to keep it into Which that. did you like more, the original or the remake? Oh, the original. Okay. I don't even so, have to think so about you're, that one. You would say that you would watch another Italian horror flick? Definitely. Interesting. I think, have you, you've seen How So? I did, but I hadn't seen it until after you and your friend mentioned it to me. I was you, beeping out your friend's name. Which one? Oh, oh, he's Crowns, on the show. Crowns McBoohoo. Crowns McBooboo. <laughs> Frowns, Frowns McBoohoo. Frowns McBoohoo. Frowns McBoohoo. Yeah, Frowns is a huge fan of of Haosu. And And um, (laughs) Yeah, that too. But also, uh, I think think 
we should watch that because you would find it very funny. Okay. Um, and I only saw it with the Japanese soundtrack. Like you were saying, oh, you prefer. Oh, okay. We should watch. We should yeah, watch. I it watched with the dub. it subtitled. The dub is very humorous because you could just tell that uh, <laughs> the people they hired were like off the street and just reading the dialogue. It feels like. Italian horror, yeah. a little bit. Whereas um, the people who are doing the uh, the ADR for Suspiria don't feel like they're the people who acted the scenes sometimes. Well, the, and that's that's what's so you know interesting about that period of Italian movies, and yeah. not just their horror movies, but that they shot without sound. And then with these international casts, and Recast then use different. Right, and it's I normally I'm against dubbing. I think that subtitle is the way to go. But with these movies, a lot of times, you know, that's how they were intended. And I've heard different reasons for why that came about. I'm not sure what's actually true. Uh, I heard one that they are their folk or their uh, central area for making movies in the '50s was near airports, and so they shot without sound and then put it in later. I heard it had something to do with the government. Um, or also that they could just shoot quicker that way. I don't actually know what the real reason is. And, of course, they don't shoot that way now. I would anyways, also but. only assume that audio equipment was super finicky back then. Like, oh, yeah, not nearly yeah, as well-developed as now. Even even using, like, a shotgun mic now is just super tough, you know. Um, but... <clears throat> I uh, I just wanted to say that, you know, it's it's pretty obvious like which which people in Suspiria are also doing their voices, and it's pretty easy to see uh, which ones aren't. And then I I realized when I was looking up the cast um, that I did know the girl who played um, Susie Banyan in the original. Did you guys know that there's a uh, like a another like rocky horror universe movie no yeah so uh the guy the guy who did rocky horror um i always forget his fucking name brian whatever um he decided that uh he was gonna try doing another kind of uh you know pulpy sing-along movie and he released a, a movie called shock treatment and it also stars a, a Janet and a Brad getting stuck in a situation that, like, is way in over their heads and kind of supernatural and wonky. And um, it has a really crazy message now because everything is, like, so surveyed and, um, you know, reality TV is so prevalent in society now. But um, the the reason it's, like, hated is because it recasted, like, almost every role... And they casted, like, three people from the original Rock, Rocky Horror, including the the director, who was, of course, uh, Riff Raff mm-hmm. in Rocky Horror. Um, yeah, uh, I love Shock Treatment. I think Shock Tr- Treatment's soundtrack is awesome. So it took me a long time to look at... I kept watching Suspiria, and I was like, what do I know this girl from? And she actually, she sings really well, and, and mm. she's uh, she's in the movie Shock Treatment. It's, um, its theme song is awesome. I love Shock Treatment's theme song. Uh, it, it is not nearly as, like, pop-culturally referenced as much as Rocky Horror is, or nearly as loved, 
but it has a really great message and it's fun. I suggest a lot of people watch Shock Treatment. It deserves more than it has currently. How you guys feeling? Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Because we've been talking for 40 minutes. I don't think so. When you, you <laughs> mentioned about uh, Susie, that actress, Jessica Harper, at first I thought yeah. you were going to mention, you were going to say Phantom of the Paradise. When you, no, you I do Rocky know Horror. about that too. I have, I have never seen that. That's kind of a fun movie. Okay. Does, I'm pretty sure she sings in that too, right? I think so. There's definitely singing. For some thing. reason, yeah, for some reason, like, she was just in a bunch of, like, older singing roles, and then, like, she, she has a haunting, like, face, you know, like, like, she's beautiful, but the faces she can make and the, the way she uses her eyes yeah. to show just how fucking shocked she is by shit it's amazing. She's like one of my favorite. Like Susie Banyan in the original Suspiria is just like such a cool final girl for me. Like because she just looks, she looks fucking scared the entire movie. I know I made a joke about oh, yeah. it while we were watching it, but she just constantly looks like someone is about to punch her, and it's great. Yeah. I, I don't it's know. Great. I don't know many horror movie females that make me feel like. She's willing to do what she needs to do, but she's super fucking apprehensive about it. <laughs> you know, like Cindy from Cindy from Scream just fucking cries the entire movie. Um, Nancy from uh, from Freddy tries to be like stronger than him all the time, and it's it just feels so forced. And uh, the final girls from Friday the Thirteenth are great. They always put up a good amount of fight. And I agree with you about that. Yeah. Not those first two points. You don't agree with the other two points? No. Sydney Prescott, she's fantastic. No. She definitely does more than just cry. She cries too much. And Nancy, you're saying from Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah. Tries too hard? She's a try hard. She oh. tries too hard. Man, She's try hard. That's blasphemy. <laughs> Ooh, I'm feeling some tension. Yeah, no, we we disagree a lot, but it's funny. It's funny um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's enough. That's a good. That's a good place to hop off. <laughs> I like what no, you no. said about the Friday the Thirteenth Final Girls. <laughs> no, the Friday the Thirteenth Final Girls just feel they feel deserved. You yeah. know, like. Uh, like, Freddy creeping on a chick the entire movie and her just, like, constantly try to outwit him. It just feels like too much. Yeah, that's what you have to do. No. In that situation, you die. Any 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 person would die in that situation. If there was, if there was Freddy and I said, look, we're going to have to try to outwit him, and you're just going to be like, look, forget it. I'm not up for it. <laughs> he knows your worst fears. And you got to try even harder because of that. No, when your first, when your worst fear is f physically put in front of you, and it's actually happening, there's no. Then you know you gotta do something. <laughs> that's what yeah, you that's say. Whereas yeah. I'm just like lay down. All right. Take it <laughs> it's like I'm dead. I'm fucking dead. Whereas Jason, if I saw Jason, I'd be like, I'm gonna go the other direction. Like, like seeing a live bear. Well, if you turn your back on the bear, no, no, no. it's going to get you. You keep your eyes on it, but you backpedal wow. really fast. There you go. You're going to try to fast walk backwards to get away from him? Yes. Yeah. Is that I like don't think that's any better than your plan to fight Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like 
Is that like the same myth? Like if you want to run away from a crocodile, you do it in a zigzag. You don't like do it in like a straight Serpentine. <laughs> Except that that makes more sense than fast walking backwards. No, they actually do say to do that around bears though. Bears, bears. If they see your back, if they see that you're physically retreating, they will. They also they will tell run you have to, to get to you. They also say if to shit your them, pants if there's a bear that's attacking do you. Do they really? Why? I hear you're because... supposed to wag your finger at it and say, "No, you better not." Get away from the picnic basket. This is not allowed. Make sure you the basket and just throw it in the other direction really fast and run the other way. But yeah, isn't that like a thing where like? Supposedly, whenever one passes away, they defecate themselves, just like, you know, I guess a dead animal does that. Sure. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, I really don't want to deal with this anymore, and they just kind of walk away. I think it's more like the bear is like, oh, God, you're going to be gross about it? Forget it. <laughs> I'm going like, to eat your shit. I was going to say, most people don't know that bears are actually, like, huge scavengers, so I have no doubt that they'd eat. You're like, I'm going to eat you, and then I'm going to root shit. through your shit. Because we'll see yeah. what's in there. <laughs> Bears are a legitimate fear of mine. If Freddy Krueger popped up in any of my dreams, he might take the form of a giant bear. Hmm. That's so Bears are terrifying. Bear. I mean, yeah, they're, they're big, but you're not going to say... Well, I guess in the area, we do have a bear sighting every once in a while. Yeah, but you just don't really have... Your location really isn't like Bear Central, I'm not going to lie. No, and it never will be. I'm just saying, I've gone camping a lot. I've been in the same vicinity as bears. They're fucking scary. You just take your musket. That's what I do. Oh, yeah? Take my musket. musket yeah. Davy Crockett, that son of a bitch. Make a fucking fur hat out of him. There you go. Got it. Speaking of bears, you heard it here from Mark <laughs> Rooster, folks. Bears are kind of the large raccoon Mark of Rooster, the forest, King if you really think about frontier. it. <laughs> yeah, but raccoons are cute, whereas bears are fearsome. Bears can be cute, too. Oh, yeah, I have small. so many fun experiences with raccoons. Raccoons can be fun, yeah. No, I like raccoons. So do I. <laughs> Who was talking about raccoons? No, I was saying I how... I said something about them. How, like, the, the, the bears are, like, the larger raccoons. They're, like, little ah, scavengers. Yes. Yeah, they, they just have really sharp claws, and they can, Giant like, teeth. crush your skull they open. But a rac- Yeah. Pull they, your head off. They like to yeah. root around in the garbage. So do raccoons. They bear like will put to... its hand down your mouth and down in your throat and burst it out of your stomach. <laughs> Yeah, wagging it around like a puppet. Yeah, that's sure definitely that, possible. I'm sure a raccoon does that to smaller animals. Probably, every he day. probably could, yeah. Little frogs and stuff. They're all out there doing horrible fucked up things. They actually, they can actually eat corn on the cob. I've actually seen that well, happen. Well, it's because they have thumbs. Well, yeah. It's cute as fuck when they do that. They're hilarious. They're fun. Um, let's, let's get into our story tonight. We're, uh... We're reading uh, probably one of the oldest Reddit no sleep stories I've had. I have been trying to get other people to read this story with me for probably two years. And then you guys come along and you say, that sounds like fun. So here we are. Let's hope we um, don't regret our decision. Me too. What I remember about this story is it's kind of historical it's from a military perspective, which I actually think is interesting. I like when crazy shit happens to the military because part of my brain says this presents 
strong protagonists who should be well equipped with situations like this and then mm. when they don't go well it creates a fun ah, narrative okay. you know that's why i like the thing so much here are scientists and people who are the best at what they do dealing with something way out of their pay grade and um i just think it's dope so i hope that this story is also dope oh cross my fingers so this story, um, like I said, is from Run It No Sleep. It is called The USS Eldridge. And uh, the only thing I wanted to point out was, I think this is a boat or a submarine of some kind. And Eldridge, most people don't probably don't know, is a um, HP Lovecraft term for like monsters. So I don't know if this guy is inspired by H.P. Lovecraft or just kind of making a wink, wink, nod, nod, like Easter egg to Lovecraft. Mm. But um, that would certainly be cool. Um, Eldridge madness is something that happens when people see something that they can't comprehend and it drives them crazy. I'm sure that has a lot to do with the upcoming story. Maybe. We'll get there. I'm a psychiatrist. When I was working my way through med school, I had deluded myself into thinking I was going to help people face their problems and live better lives. You know, all that Hippocratic Oath bullshit. I swear on the oath to keep deadly drugs out of my patients' bodies, but in my first clinical placement, I chemically lobotomized children with ADHD drugs at the behest of irritable parents and teachers. No, the drugs didn't cause death of the body, but death of the mind and the soul may be worse. There's no need to medicate children who need only attention and guidance to function. Needless to say, I left as soon as I could, transitioned to the alternative and special detention wing of the Philadelphia prison system, where I would treat patients as real, chronic, biochemical illnesses. I've been at the ASD for about a year, though I've just stolen some patient records, so my time in medicine might be about up. A month ago, the local police brought us a Van Grant who believed the U.S. was still at war with Germany. He was disoriented and had been suffering from hypothermia before the officer that picked him up exchanged his wet clothes for a fire blanket. We codenamed him Cold Hitler. The reflective foil, like blanket, was covered in vomit when he arrived, so I asked one of the orderlies to fetch a change of clothes. I gave the Vanguard a mild sedative and got him talking to calm down. When I had gained his trust, he started laying down a ridiculous yarn about the military experiments, time travel, and alternative dimensions. I like this. <laughs> not, it's not too far off the mark for some of my patients, but this guy was coherent. His story was crazy, but it didn't sound crazy. I actually wondered if he was that grain of truth to what he was saying. For a time, then the orderly arrived with the clothes. As he stood to accept them, the fire blanket slipped and I can see a golden dragon tattoo on his chest and a swallow on his wrist, both common historical naval tattoos. The following is from a transcript of the conversation between the unit that picked up Bangra and Philadelphia PD dispatch. It was a file I smuggled out of ASD when I left this morning. I've edited it for brevity. 3 Sam 12, we have a report of a man pulling himself out of the Delaware near the Ikea on Columbus. Suspected homeless. Seems to be intoxicated and delusional. Witnesses say he's claiming to have fallen off a Navy ship in the ocean and can't find his way back. Copy, dispatch. We're on our way. Several minutes pass. 
Dispatch, we see the guy. I'm not sure about homeless. He looks like he had too much fun at a costume party. He is wet, though. Has some seaweed stuck to his leg. The officers pulled the Van Grant in their car. Dispatch, our new friend says he's in the Navy. Can you look up Larry Northcott? Roger that, 3 Sam 12. Also, he's shaking pretty bad from being in the drink. What's your recommendation? The Navy has no personnel by that name. Central booking is madhouse right now. Take your suspect to ASD for processing. That's when Northcott came to me. This, again, edited down to be more digestible, is a transcript of our interview. Your name is Larry Northcott? Petty officer, first class Lawrence Dade Northcott, United States Navy, sir. The Navy has no record of you, Mr. Northcott. That's what the police officers told me. I'm having trouble believing them, though. A lot of this looks like Philadelphia, but some of the buildings I know have been replaced. I saw the battleship New Jersey docked in the Delaware, but it should be in the Pacific fighting the Japs right now. What year do you think this is? 1943. October, to be exact. I see. What year do you think this is, sir, if I may ask? 2013. May, to be exact. Well. Yes? That would explain the battleship. Mr. Northcott, why were you in the Delaware River? I fell in, sir. From the deck of the Eldridge in the Atlantic, just outside the Delaware River Delta. And how did you end up here? Mr. Northcott, can I get you something? No, sir, I'm fine. Who won the war? Um, World War II? Guess the newspapers were calling it that. Uh, against Germany. We won the Allies. Ah, good. That takes a load off me, sir. Do you know about Project Rainbow? I can't say I do. Well, I'm afraid I can't tell you too much about the science. It's beyond me, although 60 years in the future, it may be as common as corn. It was a test of new technology. The top brass filled the deck of the Eldridge with humongous electrical generators covered in certain metals they called superconductors. One of them was actually gold, I think. Anyway, we steamed out to the Atlantic, and they turned on the generators. Nothing happened for a while, then a strange green fog appeared and some of us got sick. I turned my head to be sick over the railing and as I did the lights of Philadelphia and the light of the moon flickered and went out. I felt like I was on one of those rides at Coney Island, you know, in in the stomach. Then it was like the fog lifted, the moon shined through, I could see the city. A strange ship came into view off the port side. We radioed her, and she identified herself as SS Andrew Furiseth off the coast of Norfolk, Virginia. That's a good ways down the coast. Yes, it is. The fog came back up then, and I got that weird feeling in my stomach. I, the Eldridge, wound up on land next. I'm not sure I can trust what I saw there. There were people all around, but most of them looked badly burned. Some of them saw us and shouted for help. Some were bleeding. Some were missing hands. And then others came out from behind some bombed-out building. They were even more grotesque. Their legs bent the wrong way and their skin hung loose on their muscles, the teeth. Patient begins rocking and crying. Mr. Northcott, let's stop here for now. I gave Mr. Northcott some water and had him take a pill-form sedative. I also gave him a few minutes to be alone and put himself together while I wrote down my initial thoughts on the diagnosis. Delusional psychosis and a possible fugue state. 
Then I returned to the room. I think... I think it was hell. Excuse me? That place we ended up after Norfolk. I think it was hell. It looked like here, like Earth, like New York, actually, but it wasn't. The sky was a dusty red, not blue. The buildings were just shells. The people looked like they were being tortured by those demons. Some of the crew couldn't handle it. They broke down sobbing. Others got violent. I was knocked over the railing when a fist fight broke out behind me. I didn't want to fall off and be stuck with those things with the teeth, so I held on as tight as I could to the railing. Some of the demons saw us and tried to climb the hull, but the fog came back before they could get on deck. The feeling in my stomach made me lose my grip and I fell. I fell a lot longer than it should have taken to reach the water. When I finally did hit the sea, I swam ashore here, in the future. We talked a bit about Northcott's history, where he was from, his parents after that. As I said, his story was vastly more coherent than most patients I had treated, and I wondered, and I had to wonder about it. I was reviewing his file in my office when a pair of naval officers showed up and asked to see Northcott. One went to the detention wing and the other remained at the front desk waiting for his file. The secretary paged me, but I ignored it. I placed the file under my blazer and went out the back door. This has been one hell of a fortnight, to say the least. I work nights, as that tends to be the time most suspects are brought in for initial diagnosis and processing. Fortnite? <laughs> Let's play. <laughs> I woke to a phone call Monday afternoon from a colleague who works a day myself. shift, asking if I had seen the email from Philly PD headquarters. I told him I hadn't and booted up my laptop to check my inbox. And to play some Fortnite. <laughs> there was a very unusual, urgent message from the police commissioner sitting a few items down next to a red arrow. This is the email. Subject, reassignment of mental health professionals for a duration of week. To menthealth, dot, 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 at phila.gov. Mental health professionals, the last 24 hours have been trying for our law enforcement family, and I'm personally calling on you to help your brothers and sisters who wear the uniform. Beginning Sunday night, there have been a rash of attacks on civilians and Philadelphia police officers. These attacks have been unconventional, heinous, and brutal. I need you all to be available to counsel victims and witnesses of these attacks. Effective immediately, you are all being pulled from your current assignments. You will convene tomorrow, Tuesday, May 14, at the Philadelphia Convention Center on Arch Street at 7.30 a.m. for grief counseling services. That place is huge. So oh, to yeah. imagine that, uh, like I've gone to Comic-Con there. Like, that place is giant. If that entire place was full of, like, screaming, oh. crazy people, that's a lot. That would be intense. The deputy commissioner will be in touch shortly with more information. I read the email twice in case I had missed something, but it was just as vague the second time. I asked my colleague, who had been waiting patiently on the line, if he knew anything about the attacks. He didn't. In fact, he had called me because I was working ASD Sunday night, and he thought I might have had a prisoner transfer or overheard some officers talking. Sunday was the night Northcott was brought in, and the arresting officers, Kelly and Felzer, didn't seem to know about any attacks. Things must have gone tits up after I slipped out early with Northcott's file. I tried searching the internet for information about the attacks, but was wholly unsuccessful. All I could find was a story about a vagrant attacking and chasing a woman in Rittenhouse Square until the police showed up and intercepted the man. Bath salts. <laughs> 
There is absolutely nothing about any attacks on police officers. Much later in the evening, around 7 p.m., the deputy commissioner finally sent out her email. I was hoping for a little more elucidation about what had happened, but the email served only to confuse me further. I was starting to smell a cover-up. Subject, Mental Health Services Coordination Meeting to MentHealth at phila.gov. Mental health professionals, as stated by the commissioner, please arrive at the convention center no later than 7.30 a.m. At that time, in Exhibit Hall G, there will be a meeting so we can all coordinate our treatment plans and discuss some common issues the officers may be experiencing. Most of you will be treating officers on-site in Exhibit Hall D, but a few will be transported to Thomas Jefferson University Hospital to counsel officers still under physician's care. Many of you are friends with officers, but I am directly ordering you not to discuss any of the events of Sunday night or Monday morning until the conclusion of the coordination meeting tomorrow. Failure to adhere to this order will result in a disciplinary hearing and docked bay. In essence, we were blocked from treating or even talking to any officer until we had gone through the coordination meeting. That's not the usual procedure. It is so far from the usual procedure that I consider breaking orders and calling Officer Kelly to find out what the top brass wanted to keep quiet. The only thing that stopped me was the docked pay. <laughs> I bought a fancy new car just a few weeks ago, and I didn't want to have to refinance for a longer loan period. I settled for a second, more diligent Google search that led nowhere and waited for the meeting. The coordination meeting was a joke in terms of coordination. The ten minutes spent divvying us up between the hospital and the conference center could easily have done over email. Obviously, the second portion of the meeting was why they called us in. The deputy commissioner told us that the men who had carried out the attacks had also used aerosolized hallucinogens, causing the civilians and officers in the area to perceive the attackers as demonic beings. The deputy commissioner asked that we quash these perceptions as quickly as possible during our treatment and stressed that the attackers were men of flesh and bone. I was assigned to counsel witnesses at the conference center. I like to record my sessions so I can go back and make notes for further treatment. This was no exception. The following is a partial transcript of my first session of the day. All right, give me a rundown of what happened. There was a call about an assault in progress. DeLuca and Jones took it before I could get on the radio, but Brigsby, oh, my partner, and I decided we should head over too. It was a slow night, and we thought the intimidation factor of four officers would lead to an easier arrest. We were a few blocks away when Jones radioed that a civilian was down outside the Barneys. Um, Barneys? In Rittenhouse Square? Yeah, you know it. I've walked by it. I read a story yesterday about a vanguard chased a woman. She had some cuts from a minor attack but got away all right. This woman did not get away, Doc. Jones called for EMTs. She wasn't moving. Then Jones said that they were going to move apprehend the sub- uh, move to apprehend the suspect. We advised that they wait until we were on scene. Calaveras shakes his head. When we got there, Jones was on the ground bleeding from his gut. DeLuca was kneeling with his back against the squad car, and his gun was in his hands. He was pale as a ghost. Briggsy was in the army, so he's good in combat situations. He sees Jones, and he's like, That poor motherfucker needs a hospital, Cal. Call another ambulance. Then he gets out and runs to Jones. I call for EMTs and go ask DeLuca where the suspect is, and he won't say nothing. Nothing. Just looks at me like I had sex with his mom and then throws up on both of our shoes. Another pause. Calaveras shifts in his chair. Anyway, 
I go get the shotgun from the trunk and see how Briggsy's coming with Jones. Jones don't look so good. He's awake, but he keeps saying, it bit me. But that ain't no bite he's got. Then we see the guy. He looks naked and sort of hunched and deformed. I pump the shotgun and yell for him to drop. He starts running at us. Briggsy and I both blast him half a dozen times and he drops. When we got to him though, man, he was messed up. And we didn't do it. Totally bald, totally naked. His mouth was weird and it looked like he filed his teeth or something. Or put nails in his gums. Looked like he broke his legs when he fell. Must have had weak bones. It was weird. He didn't really look human. Well, I think it's important to realize that he was just human. Also, from what I hear, the people who did this put chemicals in the air that made you see things that might not have been there. Nah, Doc. I know what I saw. And before you say anything, I got a picture. Look. Calaveras pulls out his phone. As soon as I saw the picture, my interview with Northcott came right back to me. Specifically, the part about the strange place the Eldridge went after Virginia. They were even more grotesque. Their legs bent the wrong way and their skin hung loose on their muscles. The teeth. The picture on Calaveras's phone fit exactly what I imagined when Northcott spoke those words to me. I asked Calaveras forward that picture to me and then hastily finished counseling him. I would have felt bad, but he didn't seem too shaken up about the whole thing. He was confident that Jones would be alright and that the thing he shot was a body mod freak tweaking out. I left the convention center without a word. Someone else would have to cover the patients I had been assigned. I got in my car and headed to the naval base to find Northcott. I flashed my Philly PD identification to the guard at the naval base, who directed me to the fourth building along the main base street. I cruised slowly through rows of cars, most of them dark blue Chevrolet sedans, trying to figure out how I would play my hand from here on out. I reached into my pocket and set my digital recorder to the voice-activated setting and headed for the Spartan glass front of the building. The voice-activated setting isn't perfect. It takes a few seconds of sustained vocal activity for the recorder to turn on, so I would lose the beginning of every conversation I had. Still, I suspected the Navy might not be too keen on me recording inside their facility, and I thought an incomplete record was better than no record at all. A young blonde kid, probably fresh out of high school, was on duty at the main reception desk. Ing for a prisoner? I can help you with that. What's the name? Northcott. Lawrence Dade. A pause as the kid types the name into his computer. I'm not seeing any Northcott, sir. Am I spelling that correctly? Yes. Well, what about a John Doe? Another pause. We do have one John Doe. He was brought in last night, actually this morning, arrested for fighting in a waterfront bar. He was too far gone to give us his name during booking, and he didn't have his ID on him. Uh, no, no, that wouldn't be him. He would have been brought in Sunday night. Have you had any transfers? It's actually been pretty quiet around here, sir. We've had the usual. Two seamen brought in for dereliction of duty. <laughs> Another for unauthorized gambling in the barracks. They're cooling their heels, pending disciplinary action. No Northcots or anything close, and no usual, unusual, unusual John Doe's. I'm sorry. No problem. Thanks for your help. I walked back through the door, trying to figure out where I could go next. I considered calling Officer Kelly and asking him if he had seen anything odd after dropping off Northcott when someone called me. One benefit of the voice-activated setting 
on the digital recorder is that it keeps the recorder running for two minutes after talking, and so it doesn't shut off prematurely. The transcript doesn't convey it properly, but I got the distinct feeling that everything King said doubled as a threat. Sir, excuse me, I'm Commander King with ONI, and I'd like to ask you a few questions. I sure. Ask away. It would be better if we moved to a room where our conversation could be private. Footsteps as King leads me to an interrogation room followed a loud scrape of metal chair legs on the linoleum. So, care to tell me why you are asking about Northcott? Am I under arrest? Not now, but questions like that make me wonder if you should be. Just cooperate and I'll try to get you out of here ASAP. State your name and occupation. Dr. Dylan Jefferson, lead mental health specialist at the Alternative and Special Detention Wing of the Philadelphia Police Department. And why were you asking about Lawrence Northcott? Northcott was my patient and was transferred to naval custody without my approval. I was just checking on the transfer. It had nothing to do with the fact that you illegally removed Northcott's arrest record from your place of employment? A pause. No, that was an accident. I had a date that night and I was eager to leave. And how'd that go? Fine. Did you get laid, Doctor? If you want a story about sex, how about this? You can go fuck yourself. I'm leaving. I wouldn't, Doctor. I think your date didn't go very well. You were at your home in Drexel Hill less than 90 minutes after leaving ASD and hard at work breaking your patient's confidentiality by posting his story on the internet. King tosses a surveillance photo to me, which I pocket. That sounds like an admission of stalking, Commander King. I work for Philly PD, remember? We take care of each other. It's a brotherhood. The Navy knows something about that, right? A very tense silence ticks away before the interrogation room door opens. Dr. Jefferson, I'm Captain Burroughs, Naval Intelligence. You're dismissed, Commander. King leaves and Burroughs takes his seat with a sigh. You're a tougher nut to crack than we thought you'd be, Doctor. Perks of a college education. Indeed. Alright, full disclosure. I thought we could scare you away from this, but it seems like stonewalling and threats, both things the Commander excels at, kind of... I don't know, push you along? Well, therapists are taught to dig for the truth. I've never had a problem with that. <laughs> no, you don't. Why don't you tell me what you know from the beginning? At this point, I actually started to get scared. My bravado faded and I started answering much more duly. While King was threatening me, I was pretty sure he just wanted me to shut up and go home with my tail between my legs. He was nothing but razor-burned skin stretched over an impressive amount of muscle. I thought I could outsmart him and learn a bit more. Burroughs, though, was smarter, friendlier, and I had a feeling much more dangerous. He seemed like the kind of guy who could justify murder as a valid way to preserve national security. I recapped the information from my first two posts to Burroughs, who remained silent throughout my diatribe. So what is your goal here? Just to know the truth? Partly. I do want to know what's going on, but there are things attacking people in the city that Northcott saw from the deck of the Eldridge. There was more than one attack Sunday night. How many more will there be? Should the public be aware? It goes far beyond my interest. Do you, do you happen to have a cigarette on you by any chance? I guess I can honor a dying man's last wish. The flick of a lighter and crackle of a fresh tobacco can be heard. A dying man? Figure of speech, Dr. Jefferson. The creatures, those are troubling. What did Northcott think they were? 
demons. And your officer friend? A drug addict. What about you? Some sort of animal, maybe? A mutant honey badger? I really don't know. (laughs) Well, it's somewhere between the three. They are human. Burroughs begins tapping the screen of his tablet. Sort of. Tests show heavily mutated human DNA, but it's still human DNA. The lab texts say the mutation is probably from environmental contaminants, radiation, and rapid evolution to new dietary needs. How did you- We obtained the bodies from the incidents in the city. Working for the federal government has its perks, Doctor. If you ever have the opportunity, you should take the leap away from state government. Burroughs turns his tablet to face me. Does this look familiar? Is it a Prius? Yes, a Prius C, actually. I own one. Good car. This one was found in the hole of the Eldridge when it returned to port in 1943. The entire interrogation had me spinning. The tobacco buzz probably didn't help. I wasn't sure if I was going to live to see the next day. Burroughs seemed to be alternately hinting at killing me and offering me a job. Then he hit me with completely unexpected information about the beings who had attacked the city on Sunday night. The black and white picture of the rusted out Prius with its front bumper lodged inexplicably into the hole of the USS Eldridge left me speechless. Even so, I hadn't yet heard the most shocking fact of the entire interrogation. They had to cut through the engine block to extricate the car. Somehow it had fused with the metal plating on the interior hull. When they got it to a dry dock for closer examination, they found two sets of nearly complete human remains. One set, the female driver, was subjected to the barbaric anthropological testing of time, which told them nothing aside from the fact that the remains were human and had been heavily irradiated. The other set of remains was stored in a hermetic vault until more refined methods were commonplace. We forgot about him until 1996 when we realized the car was a Prius. That was a surprise. Two years later, we had the left femur carbon dated. It was between 25 and 3500 years old. That's the end. That's a long time. Dope. Yeah. That was a good one. So the uh, so the people they found were caveman people. Most likely. Was that it? Was that what they were trying to say? Thirty five hundred years old. Thirty five hundred years old. Yeah. That's pretty dope. At first, I thought it. I thought they time traveled too far into the future. Like it was like a fallout situation where they were mutated humans. Yeah, and I thought yeah. I thought some of those came back in the time machine and started fucking around with yeah. things. Yeah. But, but he said that uh, he saw a whole bunch of shit in the portal. So maybe some cavemen got locked up in that time wonkiness. Yeah, they just did the time warp again. Today. Time warp. <laughs> Mark Rooster, how did you feel about that? Uh, How'd you feel about that story? I thought it was pretty decent. It was fun to read. It was fun to read. I enjoy when I get to do a breadth of characters. That's always fun. Your accent for uh, Cavalaris was interesting. It kind of came trying, and went. Sometimes you heard to, it. I was trying to do, like, not entirely Hispanic, but, you know, like, sometimes there would be, like, a hint of it. 
I'm like trying not to. Just enough like, not to be offensive. Just enough to not be like totally <laughs> offensive, but like I I live in the city, you know. Yeah. Philadelphia, you- <laughs> yeah. I'm from Philly, you know. Like let's not yes, let's homie. be real about it, man. You know, I'm, I'm a police officer. He's a fucking drug addict. Yeah. What what did you think, Alley Cat? I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed I I didn't think it was going to go where it was where it went. So that was a pleasant surprise. I always like being surprised. Time travel is fun. I think my my favorite Stephen King book is 112263, which is all about time travel. Yep. That's it's, a great book. I love that fucking book. <laughs> I don't know, time travel is one of those things where it's like, depending on how the author wants to take it, it could be like super world building and crazy, or it could be like just a trite mechanism that just gets you through the story. And like, in one of those ways, like, (laughs) let's let's think about it this way, like, uh, the way that like 11-22-63 and the way... um, What's it called? There's a game about girls time traveling and thoughts. It's like Donnie Darko had a baby with butterfly effect. The way that they use um, time travel is just very like, your actions will have consequences. (laughs) And I just, I always love that. I think that's great when it comes to time travel because... That's like the number one rule. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most of the time... Don't shake your own hand. Whereas the alternate is like Marvel's Avengers Endgame where it's just like a mechanism to help further the plot. Not that that I'm fighting that. I still think like that is the answer to that movie. But uh, that being said... I appreciate a multi-layered narrative where the character is constantly having to worry about something out of their control, essentially. Um, That's what I love so much about the book. Like, uh, the show doesn't really do it justice, but the main character in 11.2063 has to go back, like, five times before he gets it right. And every time, he spends more time fucking waiting, because it brings him back to um, 58 so every time he lands in 58, he has to wait five fucking years for the assassination to happen. So if he fucks it up, he has to restart and wait another five fucking years. And it's great. It's yeah, there's phenomenal. definitely very when, clear when rules. When he fucks up one. in the book, you feel it. It hurts. Yeah. It's like, ah, shit. <laughs> and that's what I love about it. I, I also think uh, Butterfly Effect is awesome. I think uh, the director's cut of that movie is, is phenomenal. Um, because it hurts. It hurts you. Little baby kills itself. That is pretty intense. It when hurts. That <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, my life only brings everyone around me pain, and he Donnie Darko's himself. It's great. Yeah. Oh, anyway, um, that story was cool. I enjoyed reading it. I kind of knew I was gonna like it because it had it had been recommended to me so long ago and I've been trying to find someone to read it with so I'm glad I could read it with you guys I like that we got to split up some parts and have like conversations mm-hmm. and shit that's always fun any any closing thoughts not for me no on this Wonderful. story yeah. <laughs> on anything on anything anything to be continued 
It, oh, I like it. In what regard? <laughs> How? No, the story's over. The episode's oh, over. She's no. promising there will be more There'll to that story. More. I'm curious to hear well, the next Well, just like of, in part general, of that story. there's always to be continued. To be continued with us. To be continued with life. <laughs> to be continued until I'm, tomorrow. I just, I need to announce on the podcast, I'm shutting down the podcast. It is not happening anymore. <laughs> no! Oh, <laughs> uh, joking. Joking. What else would I do in my free time? Besides masturbate? I, I was just going to say, besides <laughs> masturbate. Yeah, I yes. really don't have anything else. So this was episode 132 with Mark Rooster and Alley Cat. Hey. It has been uh, real. Good night. And have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs> to be continued. To be continued. <laughs>